Mission Sunday. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. If you have your Bibles, if you would go to Mark's Gospel, chapter number 3. Amen. Mark's Gospel, chapter number 3. Praise the Lord. Good morning. Amen. Mark's Gospel, chapter number 3, beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Now some of them, that's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. We want to glean our thoughts this morning from Jesus in the healing of a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. We pray, Father, we thank you for your word. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. Teach us your ways and inspire our faith to walk in them fully. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Our setting is in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and Jesus is teaching the Word of God, and the religious rulers are there, and they're, they're, they're trying to catch Jesus. They're, they're waiting and trying to see if He would break their laws, not God's, their laws, by healing on the Sabbath. Now, there is also present a man with a shriveled right hand. Luke tells us it was his right hand, his dominant hand, his working hand. Now, he wasn't born that way, but either through disease or injury, his right hand had become paralyzed and began to shrivel and die. It's amazing what you can find in any given service on the Lord's Day. The Word of God is flowing. The teacher of all teachers is teaching, Jesus himself. The hurting and the hungry are um, expecting and receiving from God. And at the same time, the critics and the accusers are watching and waiting and plotting. We want to call our first point the accusation. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. The accusation. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, and some of the religious leaders were looking for a reason to accuse him. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Here we see the enemies of God trying to discredit and denounce the Son of God. Now this wasn't anything new for throughout the life of Jesus. His enemies accused him and constantly tried to tempt him that they might accuse him. You remember some of the examples. They accused him one time of blasphemy, but he forgave sins, Mark 2. 
Man, if they would have known who he was, they would have asked him to forgive their sins. But they accused him of forgiving sins. But Jesus, and only Jesus, can forgive your sins. Don't ever forget that. When, when, when he set people free from the power of the enemy, they accused him of being in league with the devil. And Jesus said, you dodos, if a house is divided, how can it stand? And they tested him with questions concerning divorce and concerning taxes woman caught in adultery, and so on, always without success. Man's arms are too short in a box with God. And the enemies of our Lord will always fail. They are no match for the Almighty. They will come and they will go, but in the end, the name of Jesus, and only that name, will be exalted and honored and forever praised and glorified. For at His name every knee shall bow from sea to shining sea. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In our story, they're accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. But He wasn't breaking the Sabbath. He was breaking their rules. The religious Jewish leaders had taken God's perfect law and they'd thrown on all their extra stuff to it where instead of it being liberating, it was a bondage. When man starts getting things, you get in bondage. You're bound by how you think. You're bound by the way you live. When Jesus comes into your heart, there is a liberty whom the Son sets free. is free indeed. And you can walk in the freedom of the new birth of eternal and abundant life. Somebody bless the Lord. They wanted to accuse him because he was healing a wounded man and restoring a broken life. And we understand that just as Jesus was accused, each of us this morning that would choose to live godly in this ungodly world, we will have to endure some similar assaults from this fallen world and the enemy of our souls. As it is written, 2 Timothy 3 and 12, that in fact everyone, who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let's read it again. In fact, everyone that strives and and, and reaches to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They'll endure some kind of outside pressure and attack. The enemy will try to discredit your testimony. He doesn't want the world around you to hear what God has done for you. He doesn't want your light to shine. He'll try to discredit the testimony. He'll try to discourage faith. He doesn't want you strong and vibrant in the faith. He wants you confused. He wants you intimidated. He'll even attempt to derail your efforts. Whatever you try to do that is really for God, don't ever forget it. Hell will try to stop you. But I've got good news. We don't live this life alone. Thank God Christ lives in us. Jesus lives within us. Therefore we shall not fail. There is an accuser. In fact, we know the Bible actually gives a description. One of the names of the devil is the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12 and 10 and 11. Revelation 12, 10 and 11. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now have come the salvation, the power, the kingdom of our God, the authority of Christ. For the accuser of the brethren, the accuser, the devil's an accuser, who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. But the overcoming church, they would not succumb to his attacks. 
They overcame the enemy just like we must overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. And they didn't even love their lives to shrink from death. Now we recognize we have an enemy and he'll accuse us. The arrows of accusation will be hurled. Some of the attempts are to feed our doubts so that our faith will wither. They'll try to enlarge in fears and blow things out of proportion. The accuser tries to speak to us, attempting somehow to hinder our faithful overcoming walk, trying to ignite our insecurities. We think about the times where the enemy tries to um, accuse the people of God, but as a child of God, I don't have to give in to such lies. I can stand firm in the faith. You know, the enemy tries to accuse us. For example, if you're young in God, he'll often try to accuse the reality of your conversion or the reality of your encounter with God, the reality of your experience. He'll say it's just a fad or it's just a passing thing. But you need to stand firm and say, devil, you're a liar. I know Jesus. I have met the Lord Jesus personally. I am not the same anymore. His spirit lives within me. I've been born from above. I am a new creature and this thing is real. Can you say amen? Others, you try to walk with God and the enemy will try to accuse the dependability of God's Word. Instead of standing on the Word like He did in the garden, He'll try to say, has God said? Did God really say? But oh, you need to step back and just lift up that shield of faith. Say, devil, it's too late. The Word of God has been tested and tried in my life. I have found it to be a foundation unshakable, a fortress immovable. It is the life that guides me. It is the food that nourishes me. It is the sword that equips me. Oh, too late now. The Word of God is true. The Word of God is trustworthy. And I will hide it in my heart and speak it with my mouth and walk in the fullness of its blessing. Can you say amen? There is an accuser of the brethren. He'll try to sneak up on you when you get a bad report. And he'll try to attack the faithfulness of your God. He'll say of God, God was really so loving and kind. How come that? What about this? Stand back and just let them know, devil, it's too late now. God's brought me through too much. He's carried me through too much. He hasn't brought me this far to bail on me now. Great is the faithfulness of my God. I've been young and now I'm not so young. But through it all, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging bread. There is an accuser of the brethren and He'll accuse you of not being true and sincere. He'll accuse God before you, saying, is God really all He's cracked up to be? But you don't have to listen to Him. You can put on the armor of God. You can take your stand and say, devil, I refuse to be moved. I believe if God said it, He'll do it. And that settles it for me. There's an accuser. He accuses us and He feeds those doubts. Insecurities begin to come alive as the accuser attacks the people of God. But you and I don't have to give in to that. We don't have to accept His lies. We don't have to shrink back from His intimidations. We have been given power and authority to stand strong in this spiritual warfare. 
We have been destined to be the victors and not the victims. We are the overcomers, not the overcome. Ephesians 6, 10 and 11. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to take your stand against the strategies or the wiles of the devil. You are able by the power of God to stand firm against the arrows of accusation that hell would try to scream at you, to tear you down, to assault your faith. Let it be known. Greater is He that's within you than he that is in the world. Let it be known. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Believe the promise. Stand in His strength. Stand and refuse to be moved. It is written, James 4, 7 and 8, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Then resist. Stand against the enemy and he will flee from you. Accuser out there. He's accuser. He accuses us. He tries to discourage us. He tries to knock us off course. Accusation. The enemies of God are looking for a reason to hurl charges at Jesus. Accusation. The enemy will try to accuse us. Discourage our faith. But we must choose to resist and reject his lies. To believe God's word and to stand strong in our faith. Number one, the accusation. Number two, notice the confrontation. Verses three and four. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, what is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. William Barclay writes about this verse. There is in this story a glorious atmosphere of defiance. I wanted to title the message, The Defiant Christ. Jesus knew he was being watched, but without hesitation he heals the man. He could have waited till the next day. He could have did it all or quiet and private, but instead he calls the man to stand in the midst of them so all can see it. He calls the man to stand. Don't ever be ashamed to stand for Jesus Christ. Don't ever be ashamed to stand firm and identify yourself with Jesus Christ. It's hard to conquer what you won't confront. 1 Peter 5 8 and 9. Be alert. Be aware. Be self-controlled. Because our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But resist him, standing firm in the faith. Though we have an enemy that would accuse us, an aggressive enemy that will try to devour us, we do not have to be overcome by him. We do not have to be overwhelmed by him. The Bible says we've been given the strength and the authority, the might and the right from Jesus Himself to stand against the enemy, to roll back His attacks, to stand firm, to stand, to resist means to stand against it. Jesus here chose, He made a conscious choice to confront 
His accusers and critics who were defiling the Father's commandment and corrupting the true purpose of the Sabbath. When our lives, as we walk with God, there are certain things we ignore, there are certain things we address. In our Christian walk, there are things that we must, the Bible says, bear with. Colossians 13 says, bear with one another. Forgiving as Christ forgave you, bear with. Some things we have to bear with and put up with. Other things, the Bible says, it's to our glory, the wise man's glory, to overlook an insult. Proverbs 19.11. Some things, God says it's wisdom just to overlook it. Maybe you want to have a confrontation with everyone that doesn't, you know, have their hair do like your hair do. You're going to do nothing in life but have confrontations. But there are some other things that Jesus says I require of you to address, to deal with, and to overcome. Matthew 5 and 28 through 30. He said, if that right hand offends thee, he said, if the eye offends thee, if there's an area that's going to cost you your soul or cost you, deal with it. Deal with it seriously. Deal with it drastically. If there's an area in our lives that's hindering our progress in God, if there's an area in our lives that's hindering us from being the one God's called us to be, we, God says overcome it. We need to, number one, call it what it is. We need to address it. We need to identify that area. We need to address it. We never deny it. We don't want to just ignore it. If there is an area and it falls under the heading of identifying and cutting it off or throwing it off or dealing with it, then number one, I have to identify it honestly. I can't walk through life with that denial. Again, there are some things we overlook. There are some things in life we put up with. I'm never going to be six foot on this side of eternity. I just got to deal with it. Amen. I can't whine about it. I can't let it use. I can't let that just become a negative. Amen. Glory to God. It's the way it is. But there are other things God says, "Uh uh-uh, that's unacceptable. You need to. It might be something in me. It might be something without. God help us to know the difference. But the first step is to call it. Call it. Before you confront it, call it. No sense in confronting the wrong thing. Call it so you can properly attack it and deal with it. I read, <laughs> I read this week about an old desert nomad who was awakened hungry in the middle of the night. And so he lit a candle in his tent there and he began eating from a, a bowl full of dates that was by his bed. He took a bite from the first one. At the end of the date, he saw a worm. So he threw it out of the tent. He took a second date. Another bite, another worm, threw it out of the tent. Reasoning that he wouldn't have any dates left if he continued it, he blew out the candle and quickly ate the rest of the dates. Sometimes it's easier to ignore things than to deal with things, and we all say, ouch. Mmm, mmm. Mm. I've had people come back to me and say, Pastor, if we would have been a little more mature, and if we would have grown up 15 years ago, things would have been so much different. Yeah. Glad they finally came to that realization. 
But the sooner I come to the realization that it's not my mother or my brother, but it's when I realize, and it could be something within I have to address. It could be something outwardly that I have to deal with and not just succumb to and cower to. But I first, I'm going to call it or identify it. But then I want to confront it. The best way to confront it is, first of all, with God's Word, then with your Word, and then with your action of faith or your plan of action. When there's something in our lives that I have to overcome in my life, if there's something without that I need to defeat, then I simply want to go first and foremost to the Word of God, not to man's tradition, not to my emotional creature, but I want to go to the Word of God and clearly understand what God is saying and what God is declaring. And then from God's Word, I'm going to declare it, I'm going to address it, and I'm going to deal with it, and I'm going to use my faith to overcome it. I'm going to call it and I'm going to confront it, And I'm going to conquer it. And you can conquer what God's called you to conquer. The Bible says, greater is he that's within you than he that's in the world. The Bible says that no weapon formed against you can prosper. The Bible says that you can, you can do all things through Christ. So if it's something on the outside you have to deal with, God will give you the wisdom. God will give you the word. God will give you the power and the endurance to deal with it. If it's something within you, you can crucify it. You can overcome it. It doesn't have to be a torment for the next 20 years, but it can be addressed and overcome by the power of God. We can, as we like to say, meet it, greet it, and defeat it. Number one, we see an accusation. Jesus is teaching the Word of God for the enemies of God. They're watching and looking for a reason to accuse Him or hurl charges at Him. Secondly, there's the confrontation. Because Jesus knows what I'm thinking. Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he says, well, I'll tell you what. It's not time to shrink back. It's not time to play hide and seek. You, stand up. Number three, I like to call this the demonstration. Look at verses five and six. Jesus is going to show the love and the power of God. Jesus looked around at them at anger. This is Jesus. He gets angry at hypocrisy. He gets angry at lies and deceptions. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed because their hearts were stubborn. He was distressed because he tried to reach them. He tried to woo them. He tried to talk sense with them. But they were stubborn and they were rebellious. And they saw Jesus as a threat instead of a Savior. What a terrible thought. Many refuse to get saved because Jesus is more of a threat to their lifestyle than the Savior of their eternal soul. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. I love it. It's a crippled hand. It's withered. It's shrinking. It's dying. Stretch it out. Oh, that's good. And he stretched it out. And his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees, instead of doing cartwheels and praising God, they went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Those two groups couldn't stand each other. But when it came time to deal with Jesus, they grouped together. This is the demonstration. What a church service that must have been. Think about it. There's Jesus, the Son of God. 
Now there are also teachers of the law out in the audience, not to receive, not to grow, but with murder in their hearts, attempting to discredit him. But there was also a man described as having a withered hand. May this speak to our hearts this morning. Again, his right hand, but not unable to provide. One withered area of a life can affect the whole of a life. In the midst of everything that's going on, beyond confronting critics and exposing hypocrisy, we see Jesus noticing and caring for and calling out this hurting man, healing this hurting life. And He heals the man to confront his accusers, yes, but more than that. He heals him to demonstrate and express the great love and compassion and power of God. To express the desire of God to restore and revive and mend mend broken lives. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's seeing what I do, the Father does. And it's the Father's will to heal the hurting. It's the Father's will to restore lives that have been damaged and withered and abused and broken. Lives that have been wounded by life. Lives that have struggled with areas that seem withered. Some have lost their hope. Some have lost their peace or their joy. Some are withered in their esteem. They're damaged. They're wounded in their heart. They're wounded in their mind. They're going through life, but they're still wounded. And this Jesus calls to us. This Jesus beckons us. Stand and rise and look to me and receive my word and let it bring a healing and a wholeness and a mending to your life and let my word and let my spirit do what no doctor could do, no prescription could do, no other philosophy can do. Stand and don't be ashamed to identify with Jesus Christ and call on Him and be honest about your dearest need and listen to His word as He speaks. Listen to His word as He gives hope. Listen to His word as He calls you to believe and respond and let the working of God work its wonders in your life. You're never lost in a crowd when Jesus is concerned. He sees the area of your straining and of your struggle. He sees the area of your grieving. When you're up at night and you don't even think your spouse knows you're up, He sees you pacing. He sees you tossing and turning. And He's a compassionate Christ. He's a loving Savior. And He desires to heal you where you're hurting the most. He desires to mend you in the area that life has damaged you, wounded you, and caused you to wither. We rest assured this morning that the same Jesus that healed that man on that day is here this morning to help us, to embrace us, to touch us, to wrap His loving arms around us and grant us the grace we need to be strong and rise up and be restored and be made whole. You can love again. You can trust again. You can sing again. You can get a good night's sleep again. You don't have to live with that constant fear. The healer of the wounded heart is in the house this morning. He's calling you by name. He's yearning to reach out with His great power and touch you and pour His healing oil upon you. What a Jesus that we serve.
We look at this story and we see Jesus. We see wonderful Jesus. We see compassionate Jesus. We see powerful Jesus. We see defiant Jesus. And He's here this morning, praise God. We see Jesus. But then we also see this man. You know, there's something on our end of the equation that we must do to receive from God. We see Jesus. And oh, thank God for that. For if He was to pass us by, we would have no hope. Thank God for a Savior that cares about us and has compassion towards us. Thank God for someone that doesn't give us the bum's rush, but He sees us and He weeps with us. He knows what you went through. He knows what life has brought through you, um, has hit you with. And He's willing, if you'll hear, to call your name and touch you in that area and make you whole. We see Jesus, but notice now we see this man. But there is something that this man does, that three, three things we'll touch on, that he does that makes him a recipient of the healing power of God. There's something I have to do on my end to walk into that fullness. Whether it's being set free from a bondage that's entangled me. Maybe you're here this morning and you struggle in your mind with something. Jesus Christ can set you free. Maybe you're here this morning and it's something in the emotional or physical realm. And you know it's not of God. You know it didn't come from the Lord. But it's a harassing thing. I just won't seem to let you go. I'm here today to tell you Christ will touch you. Christ will free you. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. If you Bring the area of your witheredness to Jesus. He has a word and he has a touch. And he has the power to do what no one else can do. Look at this man. Jesus honored, number one, this man's faithfulness. This man's faithfulness. You know, it's just another ordinary day. But here was this man, just being faithful, just honoring God's house, receiving God's word, there to worship the Lord, giving himself to God. This man was rewarded for being faithful to God's house. God honors faithfulness. Be determined in your life. If anything else, I'm going to be faithful. I might not be the best singer. I might not be able to give the biggest offering. I might not be the best teacher on the roster. But this I can do. I can determine to be faithful to God and to His house and to His people. And I'm not going to let my appointed time pass me by. You see, the Word of God tells us again and again, and it's a a month load of Wednesdays, how faithfulness is of the utmost importance for our lives. Note three blessings and benefits, three rewards that come from faithfulness. Number one, faithfulness prepares us. Faithfulness prepares us. Prepares us for our calling, for our destiny, for our duty, for our purpose, for our ministry. Faithfulness prepares us. It's an important part of the process of our spiritual growth and development and maturity. God uses faithfulness to train, to test, and to prepare His servants. 
We can go through the list from the David to the Joshua's to the Elisha's to the Timothy's. On and on and on. God trains us through faithfulness. It's through faithfulness we develop. Come on, say amen. Glory to God. Brother David's dealing with his mother today. But I love hearing Brother David play that trombone. Amen. He played that trombone, can he? Come on. But you know, the moment he was born, he had the potential to play just like that. But he couldn't play like that if he didn't practice a whole bunch. Faithfulness is what takes potential and turns it into reality. Potential is cheap. We talk about potential so much, but if you don't put some faithfulness and some sweat to the thing, it'll stay like that. Come on. Faithfulness prepares us for what God has ordained for us. Faithfulness promotes us. And we're all familiar with Matthew 25 and the parable. Faithfulness promotes us. It's a law of the kingdom. Proven faithful proven trustworthy, proven dependable in the little, and God grants more. God gives increase. We're entrusted with more authority, with more opportunity, with more responsibility. Faithfulness prepares us. Faithfulness promotes us. Faithfulness positions us. Positions our lives for divine appointments and encounters. Many miss the chosen moment of revelation, impartation, receiving, rewarding, because it was God's time, but they weren't in the place or position to receive it. But this man received. He was rewarded for being faithful to God, for being where he was supposed to be and doing what he was supposed to do. Notice this and mark it down in your thinking that the results, the rewards, the benefits of your faithfulness flow to you, but that's not all. They don't stop there. They not only flow to you, they flow to your family. They not only flow to your family, they, they, they flow to your fellow believers. Because when you're faithful, what you have blesses others. When you're not faithful, what you have doesn't bless anybody. And what you have is important. What you have is what someone else might need. One of the reasons the Lord was able to really break through to me in my teenage years had nothing to do with the pastor. It didn't have a lot to do. Certainly had nothing to do with me. But the faithfulness of my father became a great reward for me. We didn't have children's church. So, so you know, back at Pentecost, hard wooden seats, no AC. They went on forever. Amen? That was their entertainment. They'd now go home to 500 channels and waste the rest of the day, folks. Church was it. That was their entertainment. I think that's why they had so much fun. Some was in the spirit. Some I just think was having fun. But they had fun. But, but we, had, we had Sunday school. And I don't know if it was Dad's coming, coming out of his Catholic background. When he dedicated his children, he took it very serious. He didn't just do it because they tell you to do it. Very serious. And church was another town over, maybe three to five miles. Sunday school. Dad would get up, and he'd, he'd always up early. He'd make sure every Sunday, me and my brother, Sunday school. Now, now, Mom, her Sunday school was Aquanet in the, in the she wasn't quite ready on time. You know, her and Aquanet were doing their thing. And, and so Dad would bring us to Sunday school. Turn around, come back, stop, get the Dunkin' Donuts, the Sunday paper, get home.
to be done by that time, take her, go back and have, go to church. But it was in Sunday school. Again, we didn't have children's church. We didn't have no rangers, no men, nothing. Just sit there. Good in some ways because we got exposed to all the power of God. We, we thought it was, I just thought it was neat. I mean, our services are fun. Didn't know what was going on, but it sure was fun. Amen. I mean, people fall and people, you know, just, you just grow up and that's say, this is church. Amen. Amen. <laughs> you haven't been to church if you haven't seen people fall out every now and again. You ain't going to know. I know they're bowing up, but I'm telling them they fall. I mean, that's church. But anyway, dad bring me to Sunday school. And it was through that man of God, Brother Pelleggi. Brother Pelleggi went home to be with Jesus about a year ago. He was one of the elders of our church. He taught the junior high class. And he'd take that old gospel publishing house quarterly. He, he wouldn't use it. He'd roll it up like a newspaper. And he'd preach big bulky, man. He'd preach to us kids. You kids, you kids. Downstairs in the basement next to the boiler. Amen. They put up maybe one wall. The rest was a sheet hanging, you know, who needs, you know, not those cheap Italians. We're going to spend any more money than they didn't have to. Amen. And, um, you kids, you kids, you don't need what that world has. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. It's by grace, we're, through faith. He preached at us, man. I, I kid you not, for at least three years, I left his class. It's convict. I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. I wasn't living right. Me and my other buddy, I said, oh, Lord, we'd get up and crazy. We're in junior high. Backslidders all get out. And every, I'd leave that class. I mean, for three years. God have mercy. He's killing me. That man of God worked on me and worked on me. Finally, that thing broke loose. I mean, I got saved. You know, as a kid, we all get saved. We all come down the aisle at 8. But then you backslide, and at 15 or sometime, you need a real encounter with God. And I had that real encounter. I mean, it came. Daddy's disciplined. I was grounded for doing something. Oh, I don't want to go down the road what I was doing. Anyhow, that's not going to be inspiring for anybody. Amen. Um, but Brother Pelleggi worked that word of God in my heart. And then when that time came, when finally it all hit the fan, I'm stuck in that room, and I said, oh, God. I surrender. I took that Bible, threw it on my bed, said, God, if this is your book, then I'm going to serve you. If it's not, then I won't waste my time anymore. And God began to work in my life. Oh, it's wonderful. It was the faithfulness of my father that positioned me to receive the blessing of that man of God. He could have just stayed home and says, well, you know, when Elaine gets done doing her hair for an hour and a half, then, then we'll go to church and we'll sit there with the kids. But he took his responsibilities very personal, very serious about raising his kids when he gave his word before God that he would raise them. And he took us to Sunday school. My dad wasn't a teacher. He couldn't teach that. He couldn't forget it. He'd get tongue-tied. He couldn't barely pray over an offering, okay? He'll work. He didn't set up all the chairs. He'll mow the lawns. But he don't, no, 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 no. But he knew enough to get me there. And his faithfulness got me where the man of God, Brother Pelleggi, just poured. And he was a man's man. You know, when you're a young man, you want to see a man's man. Nobody wants to see some wimpy old, you know, a man wants to see a man. Brother Pelleggi was a man. He was bold. And he was strong. And he preached it at us. And I'll tell you, he cut me for three straight years till finally it broke. And I'd never been the same. Father, so your faithfulness matters. This man with a withered hand would have stayed withered. His family would have stayed destitute because that's your work, your right hand, your working hand. You can't provide. So it affects everything. But he's in God's house. It wasn't a special healing meeting. It was just another Sabbath, and Jesus was asked to teach. His faithfulness positioned him to receive from God a blessing he never would have got had he not been faithful. Hallelujah. Jesus honored the man's faithfulness, and Jesus, secondly, honored the man's fortitude. His fortitude. This man that was in the right place, 
responded to Christ's call, a call to stand, a call to stretch and obey. Jesus honored his fortitude or his courage. When Jesus asked this man to rise up and stand in front of the whole crowd, recognize that crowd is a mixed crowd. There's people in there plotting to kill, and they're going to kill Jesus. So standing up, everyone's not cheering. Standing up, a lot of people are marking him down. They said, all right, we've got a note on him. They were throwing people out of the synagogue that were boasting about Christ. This man responded to the call of Christ with a willingness and a courage. If you want to serve God and really finish your race, you have to have some courage. To not be ashamed to say, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, and I'm not ashamed to serve Him and live right. Even when you're in a mixed crowd and others might not agree and others might mock it and laugh at it and make fun of it, Christ says, rise up and stand. Are you willing to stand for me? Do you have the courage not to be ashamed, but to be bold enough to tell people I am a Christian? I'm not ashamed to say I'm a Christian and I'm going to live it out for the glory of God. Jesus wants us. Jesus wants to put our lives on display like he did to this crippled man. And he calls for you and I stand. Stand apart. Stand with me and stand for me. Even in a world that has very mixed reviews and opinions on Jesus, on his gospel, and on the way that he's called us to live. In a world, and maybe in your school or on your job, where living holy and living pure is not always applauded and appreciated, it's not always popular, often it's accused and misunderstood. But in that time and in that place, don't ever be ashamed to stand for Christ in the way you walk and in the way you talk and how you live. Young people that go back to school, in the way you live and in the way you talk and how you just function, don't be ashamed to be a good and consistent witness for Jesus Christ. Choose to live right regardless of what others do. Choose that you're going to speak in a way that glorifies God. Choose that you're going to function and your entertainment, etc. will only be in a way that glorifies God. And even when the crowd is watching, stand tall and live true for Jesus. Jesus honored this man's faithfulness. Jesus honored this man's fortitude. Even though he knew it could be costly and he might be positioning himself not just for a blessing but for attack, this man had the courage to stand when Jesus said stand. And you might be in a situation down the road. Or others are mocking holy things. Or others are plotting illegal things. And in that moment, I pray you'll hear the voice of God's Spirit saying, Stand! Stand for me. Don't go the way of this crowd. Don't just give in to the flow of this ungodly current. But stand! Separate yourself from that which is ungodly. And lovingly but firmly, stand for Christ. And walk in his way. Jesus honored this man for his faith. Faith is an action word. He had a hand that was withered. A hand that was dried up. 
But Jesus tells him to do something he cannot do. No matter how impossible it seems, obey God in your situation. And whatever he says, just do it. See, you can do whatever God asks you to do. You can do whatever God asks you to do. And this miracle illustrates the power of God's word and what happens when we respond to that word with our faith. Jesus commands the man, stretch out. It's dead. It's withered. It can't stretch out. Jesus says, I'm not asking for dialogue. I'm not asking for a debate. I'm not asking for your argument or your assessment. I'm simply asking you to do what my word has called you to do. Because my commandments are my enablements. There wasn't a sun when he said, let there be light. And light stood at attention and said, yes, Lord. This is not up to my ability. It's up to the power of his word. And when I hear that word, all I'm called to do, obey it. And if I'll obey it, the word will do the rest. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord. Glory to God. This morning, we are called to stand with Christ. In school, on the job, stand with Christ. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed to live for Jesus, even in areas where it's not popular and it might not be appreciated. And the Lord is calling you and I to respond to the call of the Spirit this morning. God, speaking to your heart. Don't ignore it. Don't shrug it off. Respond. Stand, stretch, obey, step out, separate yourself. If we'll do those things, we'll see the power of God work in our lives. We'll see the hand of God do things in our lives that can be done no other way. Hallelujah. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. Hallelujah. We're going to open the altars. If you haven't stood with Christ to be saved, don't leave until you stand and say, Jesus, I want to be more than religious. I want to be a real Christian. Come into my heart, and I promise to faithfully serve you with my life. Or maybe you're in a place where you need to learn how to stand in the areas that are uncomfortable. Maybe you love God, but you have a problem standing tall when you're in mixed company. Well, Jesus is asking you to take a step of courage in your walk with Him. It's not enough merely just to love Him in private. It's not merely enough just to love Him when you're in the right company. But the Lord is asking this morning that you'll learn how to stand pure and righteous even with the mixture and the fallenness of the world. Even when you're with people that might laugh at it. Or, or, or accuse you of something because of it. Maybe you need another measure of courage in your walk of faith. It's a new day to say, Lord, give me the courage not to be ashamed and to stand. Hallelujah. And lastly, if you need prayer, we're going to believe God to touch you today. This same Jesus is here today. And if there's an area in your life, it's still with it. I'm not trying to dig out something you got victory over. I'm talking about something you know. I don't have the victory yet. But I believe this area 
that's been wounded and damaged. It's the will of God to minister to me that it will no longer hinder me and harass me and and mess with my life, but I'm going to have victory over it by the goodness and the power of God. Stand with me, please. Stand with me, please. Oh, God, touch us. Oh, God, release your power. Oh, Father, let your power flow. Heal the hurting. Refresh the weary. Reach into that heart. Reach into that mind. Touch that area that's been damaged. Touch that area by abuse or rejection. By, 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 by casualty that has been damaged. Oh, God, begin to mend. Oh, God, begin to soothe. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, you know every need. You know every individual. Heal the hurting, oh, God. Touch that area, make it whole. Touch that area, make it whole. Free that mind. Free that emotion. Impart grace. Impart strength. Impart comfort. Let that heaviness go. Let that entanglement melt. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, give all of our students and our teachers a very blessed year. Protect them. Help them. And use them for the glory of God. And Father God, give all of us a courageous witness as we live for you. Heal and restore lives this morning. Heal and restore areas that have been wounded. As men and women look to you, Father, release your power. Oh, God, right now, release your power as men and women look to you. As they respond to your word, as they respond to the voice of your spirit. Oh, God, as they stretch it forth with obedience, release your power to mend, to heal, to revive and to restore. In Jesus' name, oh, God, fill your sanctuary. With a fresh measure of your presence, moved by your spirit, touch every life that comes to the altar. In Jesus' name, amen. The altars are open. Come and let God work in your heart.
Father, I thank you that you honor and you reward faithfulness. And I pray for these dear faithful ones that are here this morning. Father, you know every need, you know every specific. As they go their way looking and trusting in you, unfold your plan, release your provision, guide them and strengthen them. Let their efforts be greatly blessed of the Lord. Let their choices be greatly blessed of the Lord and use them as your witness and as your ambassadors. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, God bless you. We'll see you tonight.